Tēnā nā koutou katoa toa e a koronga nei ki tō tātou tuanga Pacifica me konei i a mātou i te reiti o Nutsireni, Hawkins. Coming up... With PNG politics, it's very fluid, even until the 11th hour, so you can't really be sure. Papua New Guinea Parliament resumes again next week as a chaotic election period wraps up. Also... I think first 30 things, what we need to remember is that war doesn't resolve anything. The World War II history of Solomon Island scouts and coast watchers is to be included in the country's school curriculum and... What's up, Pacific Musical Balls? Yeah, 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 yeah. We go by the name of Swidden and we brought our thoughts with us. Pacific Music celebrated in Auckland at the first live in-person Pacific Music Awards since COVID. The 11th Papua New Guinean Parliament is due to meet for the first time next week after what many have called the country's worst electoral experience. At the moment, while some seats are still to be declared, the MPs are meeting in camps in Port Moresby, assessing who has the numbers to form a government. And it seems the current Prime Minister, James Marape, believes his Pangu party has been given a mandate to continue as the government, as our PNG correspondent Scott Wiley tells Don Wiseman. It appears that way that Pangu has the numbers to form government. Now, with PNG politics, it's you know very fluid, even until the 11th hour. So you, you can't really be sure what's going to happen uh, on the floor of parliament. So outside, there may be camps. Inside of parliament, people may move. But from the outset, their numbers look very steady. And there hasn't been news or reports of people moving in between camps as much as the 2017 election. It it will intensify uh, by tomorrow and the day after when people start, you know, the horse trading starts happening. The other new development is that the leader of PNC, Peter O'Neill, has gone to court seeking a Supreme Court reference. And he's asking basically for clarification from the Supreme Court on the dates of the writs and whether it's constitutional and legal to proceed with the, the with the number of seats that are still undeclared. So one of the questions put forward to the Supreme Court is that in the event that some of the electorates aren't declared, I mean, the, the court has to come clear to decide whether this election, uh, the elections in those electorates are failed. Uh, that's one of the questions. And he says, you know, he's it's not a decision that he's taken lightly and he, he, he wants this to be clarified. And whether James Marape and Pangu actually have the right to go ahead and declare government with those seats still pending. The expectation is that Parliament is going to sit, I think, next Tuesday. Is that right? Yes, yes. The expectations are there. That's why the, the deadline is pretty short, pretty tight. So the Electoral Commission is under pressure, under a lot of pressure, and Electoral Commissioner will state what will happen over the next two, three days. Now, Peter O'Neill was also in the news during the week because he said his party, the People's National Congress, was more than happy to endorse someone else who was dynamic and able to lead the country, that he was prepared to step aside from the leadership. What did you make of that? There are a few MPs from the last parliament who have expressed that they are unwilling to work with Peter O'Neill. And one of them has been Alan Bird, very prominent uh, governor for East Sepik. And he's expressed that he'd more readily side with James Marape than Peter O'Neill, given his experience in the last parliament. And I, I think... The O'Neill camp has also taken that into account. That's why this uh, strategy of putting somebody else in front, uh, apart from Peter O'Neill 
as a candidate for prime minister so that they are on equal footing or relatively equal footing when they go into parliament to decide on a candidate for prime minister. A part of Peter O'Neill's argument in the statement he made earlier in the week was that the Marape faction had disqualified itself by the poor quality of the election. There is some merit in that argument, isn't there? Yes, there is some merit in that argument a lot. In fact, I mean, if you if you look at it, the last five years, there's been little done to actually try to fix the electoral system problems that we've been having. And, you know, you'd think five years would be a sufficient time to at least get the ball rolling. It, it I don't think it'll take five years for a reform to happen. But in terms of the actual work being done, it, people have dragged their feet in trying to fix the systematic problems that we've had in, in the electoral system. But having said that, as I said previously, Don, it's not just one government's problem. It's it's a whole a set of problems that have existed over 30 years. So while people have attempted to fix it, there hasn't been really that drive and that energy put into trying to fix this whole system. So we've ended up in, in a situation like this that has caused many, many complications leading into the formation of the next government. So here we are at the very last part of this election. There is still violence in some areas. You might have expected that to have stopped by now. Yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate that it's continuing, but it's a it's a complex society that we live in. You know, trying to manage a country with eight hundred languages and uh, a security force that is made up of very different ethnicity, bringing all that together into the mix with tribal groups that are very protective of their own, and that translates into you know the politics as well and uh, the ethnic dynamics that goes into the formation of government. It's a complicated country that we live in. I was talking with Major General Jerry Singerock, who said, and of course, he's had a lot to say about gun control in the country for a long time. But he says the one single thing that they could do is ban the general public from having or possessing guns. Do you think that could ever happen? Uh, again, as I've said over the last 10 years, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, you know, I've, I've known Major General Jerry Singerok for a long time, since Sandline in 97. So we've constantly had this discussion about small arms, uh, proliferation of small arms and weapons ending up in the highlands, how they're coming out of defense force and police armories ending up in the highlands and other parts of Papua New Guinea, not just in the highlands. But getting the political will in parliament to actually get the authorities and the bureaucracy to go out and get the recommendations, implement the recommendations is really, really difficult. And he's been a very frustrated man. You know, I've I've, uh, noticed that over the last five, six years, he's refused to talk to the media. And quite rightly so, because he, he keeps saying the same things over and over and over again, that the gun control recommendations that he put large part of his life into hasn't been actually implemented by successive governments. And again, that always translates into security problems in the elections, in every major event that we, we've we had in the country. Uh, there's always this aspect of security and relating to guns and drugs. And it comes back to the small arms and the rifles and stuff that people illegally import and own. Plans are underway in Solomon Islands to preserve the stories and heroics of scouts and coast watchers in the Pacific Theatre during World War II by including them in schooling curriculum. The chairman of the Solomon Scouts and Coast Watchers Trust, Sir Bruce Saunders, says filming the stories of those who served the U.S. Marine Forces when they landed on Guadalcanal on the 7th of August 1942 is underway. 
It comes as Solomon Islands welcomes delegates from New Zealand, Australia, the United States and Japan ahead of events being held over the weekend to mark the 80th anniversary of the Guadalcanal campaign. Sir Bruce Saunders told RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis that many Solomon Islands students do not know their own history and he hopes to change that through work by the Trust. Yeah, the, well, the Trust, the monument, the pride of our nation, was uh, dedicated um, 11 years ago in 2009 and it's to honour the Solomon Scouts who served the uh, US Marine Forces when they landed on Guadalcanal and in 1942 on the 7th of August, and also to honour the uh, Coast Watchers. They were really a team. So that's what it's done. There was no, nothing honouring them previously. So um, I decided during the tension times that we had in uh, the Solomons that we needed to make some focus on honour the, uh, the efforts of the Solomon Scouts and Coast Watchers. They played a significant role over the years in the Guadalcanal campaign. Can you please tell me more about their role and the significance of it? Well, what it's done is given the people, the uh, young people today, knowledge about the stories of what their uh, forebearers and their grandfathers did and played in the role of uh, uh, saving their country and this is uh, that that history is has not been told because we're British colonial uh, islands up until 78 and then we became independent but its history of its own history is not known and hence doing this and giving developing a pride of what in the nation by getting to know what they their own families and one talks have done in the past to uh, consolidate what is now the Solomon Islands, and uh, this and we're doing this through with the with the monument. That's one focus. The other focus is we're doing um, stories of the we have compiled the stories of what the different Solomon Scouts did in their in their various parts throughout the Solomons. Out of the many stories, can you please highlight a couple that for you are front of mind ahead of the anniversary? Okay, well, one of the initial ones was the, the uh, scout called Luza, who is from uh, Guadalcanal. In the very early days, uh, uh, he had um, left the American lines and got, uh, got caught up by the uh, Japanese, and they knew he... Had, he had a British flag in his pocket and they interrogated him, held him up against a tree and bayoneted him a few places and he wouldn't tell them anything. But he then was able to get away when they left him. Um, he got away and went back to the, um, the American lines and gave them information about this Japanese patrol was uh, in the vicinity of, of the base. That was, that's a, a well-known story. He's been, he was being knighted for it. He's a sort of major... Boozer, he's been given awards by the, um, the, uh, in, the, in the USA too. The other one that's, uh, is the, uh, for this event, we have uh, the story of JFK. We are aware that there is a very special moment planned this weekend. That's right, yes. Well, that's why it's, it's very exciting because the... One of the things we do, uh, the Australians 
um, after we started the Pride of Our Nations, realised that they had never honoured direct Solomon Scouts and Coast Watchers service. And they, in uh, 2011, struck a medal, uh, which we now give this medal, it's a medallion, to the um, descendants of the Solomon Scouts. So we get the fam, we know, everyone knows who they are, and we're gradually bringing them in. And each um, each 7th of August, and this one, we've got six that are are uh, being presented with medals honouring their bravery and service. But among these, because of Jacqueline Kennedy coming, we were able to bring the, the two, um, the descendants of the both um, two scouts, Irony and Bugle, who saved Kennedy, and we've got the daughter, uh, sorry, the the son of Erona and the granddaughter of uh, Bugle, and they're going to be uh, presented with the medals by uh, at that event, and it's being done in such a way that uh, Carol Kennedy will be associated in that during the program at the 7th of August uh, monument. It's an Australian medal given to them, but they're going to allow the naval attaché, uh, the naval admiral that's here from the navy to in the for the program, for the, as one of the distinguished guests from Australia. He will normally he would hand it to the recipient, uh, but with what they're going to do to honour this connection is he will give the medal to Mrs. Jacqueline Kennelly. Uh, Carolyn Kennedy, sorry, and she will pass it to the and present it to those two scouts. After two years of being held virtually, the Pacific Music Awards returned to a live audience at the sold-out Vodafone Event Centre in Manukau, Auckland on Thursday. The awards were a celebration of upcoming and established Pacifica artists with a total of 26 finalists, nine of whom were first-time nominees. RNZ Pacific Susanna Suisuiki attended the awards and filed this report. What's up, Pacific Music Awards? Yeah, 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 yeah. We go by the name of Swidic and we put our thoughts with us. Village 90, Lumps Brown, and Sam B, let's go! Stand up! Stand up! Monaco's Vodafone Event Centre came alive with music, glitz and glam on Thursday night for the first live Pacific Music Awards since the start of the pandemic. Attendees and awards finalists came dressed to the nines, taken to the red carpet before the ceremony began. Up first was the Ministry for Pacific People's Special Recognition Award. The three winners were Nairi Fuata, Tangata Pacifica and New FM, Pacific Media Network. Pacific Media Network CEO Don Mann says since its establishment in 2002, New FM has nurtured many well-known Pacific media personalities. It's a radio station, you know, it's a multimedia platform, but it's more than that. It's a gateway for our uh, Pacific people to um, realise their talent. And you look at in that very first show, you know, like Oscar and Tuila were in that very first show. And since then, you know, people like uh, Marama, who's you know, now at RNZ, has been through the organisation. You know, Sela Alo, of course, as well Sandra Kailahi, who's had time at uh, various media entities. So uh, it's, it's more than just a place... Uh, that, that is like a, a media outlet. It's bigger than that. I'm searching for a place. 
Just over 30 years ago, Rotuma Nairi Fuata topped the New Zealand music charts with a rendition of the 1967 Lulu hit, To Serve With Love. Nowadays, Nairi has carved out a successful career in television, particularly producing the flagship Pacific Current Affairs show, Tangata Pacifica. A, a lot of organisation. <laughs> um, it takes determination and, you know, and a, a determination to to do a job and do it do it right you know and if I say I'm going to do something that's what I you know I'm, I'm quite committed and driven to complete the job and um, you know and I and, and that's really important to me. Are we all feeling good tonight ladies and gentlemen? Hey, hey, hey. East Auckland artist Jana Parsons, known professionally as Jana, was awarded the Philip Fuemana Award for Most Promising Pacific Artist. Jana says she's pleased she plucked up the courage to give music a go during her teens. I've always just loved music as a family, we always just did karaoke and that. And I didn't actually start until end of high school. I didn't really think of anything of it, but then I was like, oh, might as well give it a go. But yeah. Samoan metal band Shepherd's Rain took out the first Creative New Zealand Awards. Band members were initially shocked when they were announced as the winners. However, Shepherd's Rain members Filiva James and Oliver Leopolu say although majority of Pacific peoples don't gravitate towards metal or rock genre, being different is okay. There's always room to do crazy things no one's done before. Yeah, that's it. Just, I think that's the biggest message is just don't be afraid. Do whatever you want to do. Just like what we did, uh, you know, even our parents were against us, but we still went against it. So do what you want to do. The inaugural Archangel Independent Artist Award was presented to Little Bubblegum. The 18-year-old released his debut single AF1 to SoundCloud in 2019, which quickly became an online sensation during New Zealand's first COVID-19 lockdown in early mid-2020. The viral hitmaker says pursuing your dreams, especially as a new artist, comes at a cost. I think the biggest challenge is definitely... um tall poppy syndrome especially in New Zealand because when you're doing something different people want to pull you down and you might not be bothering them but they just I don't know that's just the way it is in New Zealand and I feel like it's slowly shifting with the newer generation coming through but there's still a few people that that feel that way I think that's the hardest thing coming through as a new artist. Several first-time finalists won their respective categories, including Anthem, who were recognised with 531PI Best Pacific Gospel Artist, while Sam V and Lisi were awarded Best Pacific Soul R&B Artist and New FM Best International Pacific Artist, respectively. Rapper Talisi Puasa, a.k.a. Lisi, was born in New Zealand but moved to Australia at the tender age of three. He says having a rapping career was never part of his plan. Like my dreams weren't to be a rapper, but I always loved rapping. And I guess it just shows that like passion gets you a lot, like a lot far in life. Um, you know, my, it was the passion for rapping that I had that made me want to, you know, start making music. And now, you know, reaching heights that I never thought I'd reach. So. 
R&B artist of Rarotongan descent Sam V won the award for Best Pacific Soul R&B Artist, says the awards are a great honour. It's a privilege uh, to be up there amongst the, the greats of, of the, not only the R&B, but the Pacifica world. This was a goal of mine for a long time, so to, to tick it off is, is something off my bucket list. Obviously, we don't, as musicians, we don't do this for awards or anything as such, but just for recognition, it's my first time as such, and I'm, uh, I'm honestly real gassed. I'm out of work. For their work on the Panthers' official soundtrack, Diggy Dupe, Choice Vaughan and P. Smith were recognised with the MPG SAE Best Producer Award. Fellow artist Kings was named for New Zealand Music Commission Best Pacific Male Artist and received both the NZ On Air Radio Airplay Award and NZ On Air Streaming Award for his track, Help Me Out, featuring Sons of Zion. Kingdon Chapel Wilson, better known as Kings, says the awards are an opportunity for him to reconnect with both sides of his Māori and Samoan identity. I think for us, especially for me, I had a, my mum was Solomon, so for her... The cultural aspect for her, she was uh, adopted into a Pākehā family. So it was really hard for us to identify. And so it's awards like these, it's, it's um, events like these that help to to ground somebody, to ground me, to ground myself, and to, to ground myself into Pacifica, into Māori, into who we are. the and last but certainly not least, for Anana Jerome Gray was selected as a 2022 recipient of the Manukau Institute of Technology Te Pukenga Lifetime Achievement Award. Gray's iconic song, We Are Samoa, became the unofficial anthem of the country. And his legacy was celebrated through a tribute performance by Brotherhood Music and Resonate. For a full list of this year's nominees and winners, head over to pacificmusicawards.org.nz. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Meitaki, airira.